What's going on, man? The Sugar Show is back oh. in town. The Sugar Show is back in town, Billy. I got my tie-dyed gloves. I got my Sugar Sean shirt. I'm ready to rip it. If we had known, if I had known about this, I would have brought the tie-dye out. I was really worried we were gonna have matching tie-dyed shirts, so I didn't go with the tie-dyed. I went ahead and went with my uh, pot leaf and clover leaf Sugar Sean shirt. So, well, we're here. Another big UFC pay-per-view right around the corner. UFC 248. This is episode number 26, I believe. Let's get right into it. Let's do it. Where do you want to start? All right. Let's go ahead and... Let's start with UFC Norfolk. I'm going to let you jump in and just kind of give us your thoughts on what went down there. Um, obviously, unfortunate ending to the night for Joey B. I just spilled my damn water all over my Sugar Sean gloves. So, go <laughs> ahead. You start talking about UFC uh, Norfolk. I'm going to clean the water off my desk real quick. <laughs> yeah, so UFC Norfolk went down over the weekend. Um I think kind of a sad moment, honestly, for people who have followed this sport for a long time. I mean, Joe, Joe Benavidez is a guy who always seemed to be number two in his division, always behind Mighty Mouse, uh, you know, has beaten Henry Cejudo. And, you know, this fight was really tailor-made for him to get a win, for him to get a title. Davison Figueredo <laughs> comes out there. He doesn't make weight. Uh, he knocks out Benavidez in the sec in the second round, pretty early on in the fight, and now Benavidez joins uh, this elite company: Parker, Uriah Faber, Dan Henderson, <clears throat> Chael Sonnen, Alexander Gustafson, Kenny Florian, and Pedro Hizo, of the only fighters to go zero and three in UFC title fights. No man has ever gone zero and four in UFC title fights. So. Uh, pretty, pretty sad kind of, a I would call this Joe Benavidez, like his James Harden moment or his Carl Malone moment yeah. where, you know, it looked like he was finally going to get it. Looked like he was finally going to get his due and, uh, you know, just got, got clocked honestly. And, uh, I don't know, Parker, what did you think of the fight? I thought it was a great fight. Honestly. Um, I, I, I thought he did everything well. The reality is I, I think he got caught with the headbutt and then got put out shortly after it was just a it was hard to see a guy like that like you said I mean Joey B's been around forever he's came up short time after time in his career to really the best in the sport I mean Mighty Mouse Johnson twice Dominic Cruz twice and then Sergio Pettis once that's really his only losses so um yeah I was pulling for Joey B and you know to lose to a guy that didn't make weight I think it's honestly just the best, worst case scenario for the UFC. I don't think it could have gone any worse. I think that event was built around Joey B. It was built around him getting a win, being able to resurrect and keep the flyweight division going. And with the result, I really don't know where they go from here. I mean, this could honestly, if they don't book an immediate rematch, I think this could be the end of the flyweight division, maybe the end of Joey Benavides' career. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I mean, they're going to book a rematch. They I have, think it's obvious they're they going to book a rematch. I, I don't think there's another option, right? And here's the thing. That was a controversial fight. 
Like, I know it ended in a clear knockout, and we never, ever think of, like, fights that end in a knockout like that as being controversial. But Mm -hmm. here's the thing. Joe Benavidez dehydrated himself to make weight. It was very clear that Figueredo stopped midway through the process and decided it wasn't good, which is fine. I'm not in favor of weight cutting, but at the end of the day, that put Benavidez at a disadvantage. So that's point one. Point two is Joe Benavidez won the first round on every single judge's scorecard. Every single one. Yeah. So he was clearly in that fight. It's not like he was out of it. And then the third one is the clash of heads, which Benavidez did initiate. But the clash of heads is really what caused the cut to open up. Benavidez lost a ton of blood. And then as that was happening, he got caught. It's kind of a freak thing. I mean, I thought he was winning that fight. Certainly, Figueredo had his moments. But uh, I I just think it's very clear that they're going to do a rematch. And I I think the real question here, Parker, is does anybody care? I mean, honestly, does anybody care about the flyweight title in the UFC anymore? Because... When they were going to get rid of this division, everyone was all, save the flyweights, save the flyweights. We love this division. You're a casual if you don't like the flyweights. But they didn't make the media rounds. Like, neither guy was on the Helwani show. Neither guy was on ESPN. Neither guy was doing the Sirius XM rounds. There was zero buzz for a title fight that was not on pay-per-view. I mean, zero buzz. And... They uh, once the fight was over, I mean, we all moved on immediately to to this week's pay per view. So I, I guess my question to you is: Really, does anybody care about this? I, I think just look at the track record of the flyweight division. You had the pound for pound one of the greatest fighters to ever do it, dominating for the last ten years, and no one gave a shit. So where do you go from there? I mean, you can't. We're not going to create another Mighty Mouse. That's this superstar, you know, that just draws crazy numbers like Conor McGregor or, you know, someone like that. It's just not going to happen. So you mentioned it in last week's episode, and I agree with you. I think these smaller weight divisions are meant to be in Japan. I mean, this is Ryzen, you know, I, I just don't see with how much talent the UFC has and how weak that division is. And it, one women's 125 kind of has the same issue. It's just there's no depth. There's no stars. What do you do with it? It's you're never going to get, you know, anything better than a random card in Norfolk, Virginia with a bunch of no names on it and a title fight at the top. Here's the difference for me, though. Women's 125 is a young division. We've been trying. We've been trying to do this flyweight thing for 10 years. And the other thing is bantamweight rules. Bantamweight is an awesome division. 135 is great to watch, but Mm -hmm. my thing is, it's like, you look at the other North American promotions, there's no flyweight in the PFL, there's no flyweight in Bellator, these other promoters know that there's no money, there's no viewership in this in North America, that's where you're at if you're the UFC, you're focused in North America, like, these divisions belong in Asia, you're exactly right, give them to one championship, give them to Ryzen, give them to Road FC, and let's just move on with our lives and stop pretending that this division that can barely fill out a top 15, that doesn't have any contenders, that doesn't have any names, is something that the UFC is focused on. Well, And, and let's move yeah, on and have good fights. And then if you're a superstar, I heard, I think it was uh, Shorty Torres was talking about this on one of the podcasts. But it's like if you're a 125 you know, top talent in the world, 
you're going to make probably double the amount of money than you would in the UFC if you're fighting in Ryzen or one or something like that, where you're going to be a draw. If you're fighting in the UFC at 125 and your name's not Mighty Mouse Johnson, I mean, you're no one gives a shit. Honestly, no one. Nobody gives a gave shit. a shit when yeah. he was in the in yeah. the promotion. Like this guy was, uh, I mean, exciting. You want to talk about exciting? Mighty Mouse in a fight he was dominating against Ray Borg picks him up, slams him, and catches an armbar in midair. And you know who watched it? Fucking nobody. <laughs> yeah. Man, like, I don't know. I, I love this division. I love it. I genuinely do. I enjoyed this fight. I enjoyed Mighty Mouse. I like Cejudo at 25. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, people don't care. And, like, we just need to acknowledge it and move on. Well, and that's like you see Cejudo. I think Cejudo realized that. I mean, he's not going to make money fighting flyweights. He's going to make money fighting Jose Aldo, the, the rest of the top of 135, maybe move up to 145. I mean, that's where the money's at. That's where the big fights are at. That's where the superstars are in the UFC. So, honestly, I, I do think we're going to get this rematch just because I think it was controversial. Uh, Davison didn't make the weight. For Joey B, one last crack, and then after that, I, I don't see what else he has to fight for. Um, so, yeah, I think we're going to get the rematch, but I don't think the fly, the time on the flyweight division is running out, in my opinion. I love Kai Kara France, but are we really about to give Kai Kara France a title shot? Because that's where we're headed after this rematch. That's really, if you look at the, the top 15... Tell me another name that's a household name. And the only reason Kai Carr France is a household name is because he's a member of City Kickboxing and he's been on the card with all these guys. But number one, you got Figueroa. Two, you got Joey B. Number three, Juicier Formiga. Number four, Alexander. Brandon Moreno's probably in there. <laughs> yeah, Brandon Moreno, number five. Askar Askarov, number six. Ray Borg, number seven. Kai Carr France, number eight. And then after that, I, I honestly couldn't tell you anyone except Tim Elliott. Ray Borg, Ray Borg can't even make the weight. Ray yeah. Borg's missed weight in like four of six flyweight fights. Why are we doing this? Move yeah. him up to 35. Every single one of these guys can fight at 35 and be competitive. Or let's get wild and let Amanda Nunes fight them all. Or the Pride, spy. Pride style timeout. <laughs> Three matches in a night. Let's get wild. No, I, I think we're going to get the rematch, and then I think the flyweight division is going to be done, honestly. Um, all right, so also on this card, um, let's talk about one of my favorite fighters in the UFC, Ion Kutalaba, taking on Magamov. You're going to have to help me with this last name. Akalidiv? You Akalidiv? butchered both of these, by the way. It's right, Jan, like John, Jan Kutelaba against Magomed and Kalaev. I'm pretty sure it's Ion. I like to think it's Ion, but all right. I like we'll to you... think it's Ion. What? Like he's like in your middle school science class, Parker? Come on. <laughs> I wish he was, that crazy fucker. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So controversial, but pretty fucking awesome. Um First of all, let's talk about the the ring announcements. You've got Bruce Buffer announcing the two guys. He gets to Ion. Ion comes flying across the fucking ring and like tries to slow dance with this Dagestani guy, and everyone just looked like they didn't know what the hell was going on. Where was the ref? Where was the commission? 
Why are they not? Why is no one on their toes? Everyone fell asleep on Ion Kuntalaba. Have you not seen this guy in a face-off? Are you fucking kidding me? What are you doing? First of all, absolutely love that you're sticking with the Ion gimmick. Really good. Really good for your your mispronunciation brand. We're rolling. We're um, rolling with that. But okay, like. Was this not the most entertaining, like, 38-second fight that ended in a bad stoppage of all time? I mean, can you think of, like, nothing of consequence happened in this fight? And I've watched it multiple times now because it's so entertaining of Kudalaba going for Ankalaev in the beginning, like, during the face-off, like, totally weird. And then these guys went at it for 38 seconds. Can we talk seconds. about how they, like, held each other for, like, three seconds? It was very strange. It was like he got a little too aggressive and then lost his balance and just fell into to Magomedov and he, he embraces him and holds him until the commission breaks it up. I'm like, I'm watching this live. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> it's like, it reminded me of like when you see like a kid, a little kid like running around the mall and it's like, hey, where are your parents? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I mean... First of all, I, I Kevin McDonald is a great referee. I have to say that because he's catching a lot of flack for this. It's a really bad stoppage. I, I'm I'm fully on board with this being one of the worst stoppages in UFC history. But he's a really good referee, and he refs a lot of fights. He runs a training course. Um, I, I you know shout out to Kevin McDonald. It, you know everybody misses one every once in a while. But this I was, think bad. He was just on. I think he was on edge after the entrance. He probably didn't know what the fuck was going on. Bruce Buffer's in the middle. He's leaning back on the fence, and these two guys are about to fight before the fight starts. All right, so I think we're both in agreement. Slap a no contest on this. I mean, you could you could headline a fight night in some random corner of the world with this fight at this point, I think. like That's how interested I am in watching these two guys go at it because they're just maniacs. All right, so the stoppage... What I mean that was that's got to be one that's the worst stoppage I've ever seen in my career of watching UFC. Yes, I would agree with that. It was so bizarre. I was watching that fight with like five casuals and all of them were like, "What the fuck is he doing?" Ion was clearly swinging back. He looked like he was playing a little bit of rope-a-dope, little little possum, but I heard um Big John on his podcast was he was not happy with Kevin McDonald. I don't think he thinks he's one of the best referees. But Big John was <laughs> teeing the fuck off. And he made a really, really good point. He said the first thing to look at when someone is hurt, hurt, is look at their base. Look at their legs. If their base is still there, the base is not wobbly, it's not shaky, they're still in the fight. You've got to let them fight. And, man, I, I honestly, I just think Kevin McDonald might have been on edge from the from the jump on that fight. That was just a very, very weird fight. And when you see a ref jumping in and out, like he was, I mean, I thought he was going to get hit with one of Ion's bombs or one of those head kicks from uh, Magomed. But um, yeah, that terrible stoppage, terrible stoppage. One of the worst I've ever seen. Um, I agree. Let's run this shit back. Ion Kuntalaba is probably the weirdest guy in the UFC. Besides Mike Perry and Diego Sanchez. He's top three. Yeah, probably. But you know what? We're going to Kazakhstan this summer, right? Like, Put him on Kazakhstan. 
Kazakhstan, baby. Kazakhstan deserves this. They've Ireland's going to dress up like Borat for the face-off. <laughs> He's going to wear the Borat bathing suit yes, at weigh-ins. 100%. <laughs> Love it. All right. Um, yeah, so I think immediate rematch in that one. Um, another big t- talking point from this card was the rise of the, what is 145 or 135? 145, women's featherweight. Yeah, women's featherweight. Um, you had Megan Anderson, who did an awesome shoey after her vicious knockout. Did you see that? Very bold with coronavirus going around to be drinking out of other people's shoes. Very bold. I told, I told Megan you I had Anderson, a crush. Megan Anderson, fearless. <laughs> I told you I had a crush on Megan Anderson. That one solidified it a little further. Um, so <laughs> Megan Anderson comes in with a devastating right hand knockout in the first round, and then Spencer comes back and one ups her, you know, and and ends up getting the the call to be Amanda Nunes' next victim. So, what do you think of those two girls' performance? And do you think Spencer is a rightful? Um, I don't know, what do you call it, victim for Amanda Nunes next? <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely, because, it, it, look, they both had first-round knockouts against, you know, I don't want to call it a squash match, but I didn't think that they were fighting the toughest competition in the world. And, right. you know, they both won impressively, and Spencer has submitted Megan Anderson. So, uh, a pretty easy decision for me. Um Good for Felicia Spencer. I mean, tough road. You, you got, you know, in her last 12 months, she will have fought uh, Amanda Nunes and Cyborg. So not exactly a, not exactly an easy road here for Felicia Spencer. But, well, she um, went to the you know, decision with Cyborg, the U- didn't she? Yeah, and glad cool. to see the UFC actually, uh, you know, book featherweight fights outside of Cyborg and Amanda Nunes. So, um you know, I'm uh, I, I I'm not terribly interested until they decide they want to have an actual division at 145. But mm-hmm. I'll watch. You know, I'll watch uh, Felicia Spencer fight Amanda Nunes, and my take is Amanda Nunes will probably do something very impressive, and Felicia Spencer will be the next victim, like you said. But you know, good for both of these girls. Glad to see them both get back in the win column, and um, you know, would like to see the UFC build up 145 because. You know, I think they're. I think it's an intriguing division to say the least. Yeah, and I think um, watching it live, I I don't know. I I think I obviously favor Megan Anderson a little bit. Um, I think her height and her length and you know the power she showed showed a lot. But the reality is, I I think she'll get. I mean, she's next in line. So if Amanda blows to uh, Felicia Spencer, I think Megan Anderson's you know going to step up and fight her next. So I, I think both of those girls won um, good performances by both of them. So uh, that was pretty much it for UFC Norfolk. That was just one of those cards you probably could have got away with without booking that card. But you had some highlights. Well, apparently not because we've already talked about we're going to run two two fights back. We talked about four fights. We're running two of them back. The other two are number one contender fights to fight the title. So yeah. I guess UFC Norfolk event of the year, according to Parker's MMA show. I don't know about that one. You said that, <laughs> not me. All right. <laughs> Let's get into some real fights now. Um, 
Big, big card this weekend. Israel Adesanya taking on Yoel Romero. Adesanya. Adesanya. Uh, man, this is a fucking awesome fight. Awesome fight. The balls on Israel Adesanya to call out Yoel Romero. To, to me, I mean, Yoel is just... I've been, I went back and watched all of his highlights you know, from his round at middleweight, and that dude is just scary. Scary. Anyone that fights him, you're going to be on suspension for six months. You're more than likely never going to be the same again. For Izzy to go out of his way and call out Yoel, and if he's able to pull it off, man, I'm gonna, my respect for Israel Adesanya is going to go through the roof. What did you think about uh, the call out of Yoel? When he really didn't have to, honestly. He could have waited for Paula Costa. But I think Israel uh, Israel's just trying to submit his legacy. What do you think about that? Yeah, so two thoughts on this. Number one, everyone thinks that the traditional uh, contrast in the UFC is striker versus grappler. I'm here to tell you that the original contrast in the UFC is skinny tall guy against short stocky guy. And that's what we got this weekend, mm-hmm. which is, is it's almost an all-time version of that, where it's like, these guys could not appear any different. As far as the call-out goes, look, Paulo Costa's injured. Um, he's clearly the number one contender at middleweight. And uh, the, the only two guys to beat Yoel in that cage are Whitaker and Costa. And there's a large segment of the fan base that believes that Romero beat both of those guys. So, if you're Israel, this is clearly the guy that you call out because he's the guy who gives you the most clout at the end of the day, and you're the middleweight champion. You're going to have to fight an absolute killer. Like, that's your job now. Like, you get to fight killer after killer, five rounds apiece, until somebody knocks you out or takes your belt. And Mm -hmm. so, as far as, like, you just got to stack the guys who will give you the most respect with the fan base, build your star... And right now, of the guys who are healthy, it's Yoel Romero. Plain and simple. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, like you said, both of those, the Rob Whitaker, I mean, really both times, and then the Paulo Costa fight, I, in my mind, those could have gone to Yoel. Easy. And, I mean, no one's been able to just go in there and blow through Yoel. Like, like I said, anyone he fights is going to come out with damage. This is gonna. This is a big stage for Izzy. If he can g- get in there and put on a smooth performance, you know, not get hurt, pick Yoel apart. This is really gonna. I think it's gonna boost his popularity, you know, worldwide. But most importantly, in the United States. So this is his first title. He's or the pay per view he's gonna headline in the United States. This is a giant stage for him, and to do it against a guy like Yoel Romero, I mean. This is a very, very big fight. Um, What do you think this does for Izzy's legacy if he's able to get a win against a guy like Yoel Romero? To me, this is so reminiscent of when McGregor fought Chad Mendez. It's like everybody's saying this is the guy, you know, this is the real champ. This is the guy who, you know, is a kryptonite. He's, you know, he's got the style to beat him. Um you know, McGregor had already kind of solidified his stardom in his hometown when he fought in Dublin, and it kind of, like, built that Irish fan base. And I think Izzy's really done that in, like, Australia New Zealand with beating Rob. I think he's a huge star there. 
Well, he's fought there how many times? Three? Three or four times? Yeah. 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 So I think this, this is the fight for me that solidifies, like, this is Izzy's division if he wins this. I mean, he will have now beaten the two toughest middleweights of the past five years. Right. And he can really start stacking title defenses at that point or chasing other belts and solidifying that he is an all-time great at MMA. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Let's talk a little bit about um, the camp Izzy's coming from. So City Kickboxing, led by Eugene Berriman, has been on absolute fire. Really, since Izzy, since Izzy burst on the scene in the UFC, you've got Volkanowski is now a champion. Dan Hooker's in the hunt. Um, Brad Riddle put on a great performance last week. He's serious, serious fighter. Kai Kara France we talked about. But this, this gym from the, the little bitty island is making a big, big splash. Um, what do you think the significance of Izzy being a part of that group and you know just that camp as a whole and what they've been able to do in the last two years in the UFC? It's very clear that Eugene Barriman is is a fantastic coach and and he's really assembled a great team there. But for me, I think with Izzy, if Izzy can pull this off, he's not only asserting himself as like this middleweight division is mine. It's also that he becomes the face of a gym that's asserting itself at the top of MMA. I mean, you think of you can't think of Daniel Cormier without thinking of AKA. You can't think of John Jones without thinking of Jackson Wink, Connor with SBG Ireland. And he kind of like these guys become like almost captains of these teams of fighters where the other fighters achievements almost magnify the stardom of that face of the gym. And I think that's really, really important to Izzy. You know, he's clearly very close to Eugene Behrman. He clearly loves his teammates and his guys at the gym. And if he can beat Yoel and really elevate himself in MMA, it doesn't elevate just him. It elevates his team and his teammates. And it makes him kind of the face of this up-and-coming gym that's very quickly risen to the top of MMA. Well, and this, the market as a whole. I mean, the Oceanic region's... You know, you've had fighters like Mark Hunt comes to mind. I mean, he's he was a pioneer of the sport in that region. But you're seeing champions rise up, and I think this could be a really big emerging market for MMA as a whole. You've seen what Rob Whitaker was able to do. You've got Izzy rising up. Dan Hooker's going to be in contention soon. Volkanovski's a champion. So I think this is huge for the UFC as well. I mean, to open a new market in those areas. I mean, there's a a lot of talent that I think could come out of there and similar situation, you know, with uh, Wei Ling Zhang fighting her, her fight is huge. If she can get a win and go on a roll, I mean, and the UFC is able to tap into the Chinese market. That's, that's going to be huge for them. Yeah. I think the other thing about Izzy that I, I hasn't really come up this week, but it's come up in the past is this guy kind of built himself. Like he never fought, much on the Australian or New Zealand uh, regional scene, this guy came up in China. So I actually think Israel Adesanya is kind of an under-the-radar guy who, as MMA gets bigger and bigger in China, I think he's a perfect fit there too because, you know, he's fought there a bunch. I think he has eight or ten fights in China. So well, And then he's got all um, the anime I, I think that's and interesting. all that crazy stuff that he's, you know, all over. Um, 
the walkouts. We talked about walkouts last week. What's your guy's name? Uh, Genki Sudo. Genki Sudo. You, you're not telling me Israel Adesanya couldn't do some crazy, crazy stadium shows over there in Japan? Yeah. I, 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 oh, he'd be perfect. Yeah. No, absolutely. All right. Um, so a couple concerns around this fight, which I don't think are going to end up being a big deal. Um, any concerns that Yoel won't make weight? No, because I think I think the Yoel not making weight thing is really a, a time issue more so than anything. I think it takes a lot of a lot of discipline and dieting and everything for Yoel to get down to 185, but. I mean, this fight's been booked for a while, so I, I think Yoel will have no problem getting there. And then there was rumors of a staph infection on Israel's arm. Um, any worries about that? I, I think I saw a report today that that ended up not being staph. No, I'm not worried about it at all. I don't think I don't think it was staph. You know, I think it was like a a mat burn or something. Uh, um, you couldn't be less worried. Okay. Um. All right. For Yoel, he's 42 years old, and he could be 50. Honestly, Parker, he could (laughs) be 50. Like, I don't know if you know a lot of Cuban people. They're not exactly the most diligent with birth certificates. Like, that guy, that guy could be 50. He really could. Um, (laughs) I don't think it matters. We'll just say he's 42 to 55 years old. (laughs) Will Father Time ever catch up to this? absolute freak show of nature so i i don't think it's father time in the sense that like i don't see yoel slowing down i don't see him like breaking down he looks great in warm-ups i actually think something that's underrated about yoel everyone always talks about the muscles and the physique and everything i think yoel's flexibility is what's kept him in the game this long that guy is an un- unbelievably flexible and he did but a backflip thing- cold in jeans <laughs> in like a 12-pound gold chain. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But I think the thing that's going to catch up with Yoel, and you can kind of see it on his face when he talks in these interviews, he has been wrestling or fighting for now 20 years. Right. Like, like, at a, at a, like starting with his Olympic debut. So, of course, he had to qualify for that. So, it's, like, even longer. But I just think that that takes a toll on your body in terms of scar tissue and wearing down and that kind of thing. And I'm just – I'm waiting for the moment where I I think this is going to happen overnight where all of a sudden it's like, wow, Yoel is actually shot. And he's been hit too many times. And he's been kind of worn down too many times. And he just can't do it anymore like he used to. And the more I look at this fight, I start to wonder, like, is this the fight where we say, wait a second, Yoel's a 42-year-old man trying to fight in a cage? Well, and just the amount of damage. I mean, he just, he accepts damage, and he's more, I think he's one of the most durable fighters in the UFC. I went back and watched, rewatched both Robert Whitaker fights, um, the Paulo Costa fight. I mean, Yoel will get up against the cage and just wear shots and just look you dead in the eyes and just come back after you. I mean, his, his neck, it's like you hit him with everything you got. It doesn't move. He just walks right, right back towards you. He's like Tony Ferguson esque, just zombie 
coming for you. That's why I, I think everyone across the organization just has so much respect for Israel Adesanya for going out of his way to fight this guy. So let's jump into path to victory. Um, Israel Adesanya, what do you see as his path to victory in this fight? So I I really think it comes down to footwork for Izzy. I think Mm -hmm. Yoel tends to do it's it's such a unique style, right? Because it's very passive for like, you know, 90% or 80% of the fight. And then it's just like this 20% explosion where it's like a flurry of punches and kicks and knees. And he's he's coming right after you with all he's got, throwing 100%. So I think Izzy's got to really utilize footwork smart. And so he's got to stay on the outside. Um, Yoel's going to control the center, and that's okay. But I think Izzy can cut angles and um, you know kind of pop Yoel with shots. And eventually, I think it'll wear down on Yoel when he's just getting hit and getting hit and getting hit and not able to hit Izzy. So... I think if if you're able to make Yoel miss, it's going to wear him out. It's mm-hmm. going to be tiring, especially at the where Yoel throws, it's all 100%. So any miss right. is going to really hurt him. And I think Izzy's accurate enough with his striking to eventually catch him in the later rounds. Well, his cou- um, his counter striking as well, especially in the Rob Whitaker fight. Rob was using kind of a similar technique to how Yoel fights really. I mean, he was just blitzing in on him. And Izzy was able to just slide out of the way and then catch him with those counters. I mean, time after time. So, yeah, I I agree with you totally on that one. And the other thing is, is I think a guy like Izzy who comes from kickboxing, um, his his striking is so beyond anyone else at his division in the UFC. And so I think a lot of his training, especially when he's not in actual fight camp, is really around conditioning and grappling. Because that's what he needs to improve, and you've seen the the you know evolution of Izzy. I mean, if you look at the Vittori fight where yeah, he got taken absolutely. down, and then you look at like the Derek Brunson fight where Derek Brunson is a Division One All American wrestler, and never came close to taking Adesanya down. Um, well, and in the v- Vittori fight your- too, I mean, he was able he was basically held Izzy down and was able to really really do some work on the grappling. So I agree. I I think. His two years in the UFC, that's the skill that's improved the most. His takedown defense is is night and day better than his first couple fights. But the thing that I don't love about Izzy doing all that grappling, I guess, is you need to use that grappling to keep the fight standing and to get up if you get taken down. Like, I don't know if you remember in the Kelvin Gastelum fight, he's like throwing up triangles and stuff. Yeah. You can't do that against Yoel Romero. Right. Like, don't fall in love with this idea like you're going to submit Yoel Romero. You're going to quote unquote show everyone your ground game. Like play the hits, Izzy. Like keep keep it standing. Keep them at distance. Use your fancy footwork. Catch them with your sniping shots. You know, those those long uh, right hands, especially in mm-hmm. head kicks and, you know, mixing it up to the head and the body and you know, fin- finish the fight or come out with a lopsided decision. You can't You can't take risks with this guy and you know, I, I get worried sometimes that Izzy gets too comfortable and um, wants to start showcasing all the stuff that he knows. He did almost almost catch Kelvin Gastelum in a triangle, though. <laughs> yes, that's true. 
<laughs> All right. Anything else on on Izzy? No, I I, I think that's the uh, that's the game plan. Keep it outside. I, I don't think it's a big secret, but uh, you know, I, I, talking about it's one thing, doing it's another thing. So yeah, uh, excited to see what he's able to do on on Saturday night. Yeah, I had a, a couple thoughts to add to that. Um, I hear Izzy talking a lot about slow cooking his op- his opponents, and I think. I had two bullets on this, but um, Izzy is very, very similar to like a John Jones or a Floyd Mayweather where he'll take the first one, two rounds to figure you out. And then once he gets your timing and once he figures out what you're trying to do, he starts systematically just breaking you down. And I think that's what he's going to do to Yoel. But the weird thing is with that, you have no idea how Yoel's going to start. I mean, Yoel could come you know, guns a blazing out of, out of the gates, or he could just do this kind of sit back thing where he coasts for a couple rounds and then looks to explode in the third or fourth round. So, um, I think Izzy is really, really good at that though. Slow cooking his opponents, just seeing what they're going to throw at him, make the adjustments. And I think a lot of that, you know, goes to Eugene Barriman. He's done a great job of working with Izzy and coming up with game plans, but, um, that's one for Izzy. Number two, he, he cannot get in a war with Yoel Romero. He fell into this with Kelvin Gastelum a little bit. He took a lot of damage. If you make that mistake with Yoel Romero, you're going to get caught. You're going to get hit, hit with a flying knee, a big hook, something crazy, and you're going to get knocked out. Um, so for me, he's got it exactly like you said. Stay on the outside, you know, keep his space, avoid the blitzes of Yoel Romero, fight a safe technical fight, and don't get too crazy. And I, I just worry about Izzy because he's he's been there. He's been in a war with a guy like Kelvin Gastelum, who is you know very very hard to put away. And I don't want that slipping back into his head and him getting it twisted that Yoel Romero is Kelvin Gastelum because he's not. He'll switch the lights off very very quickly. Um, so that was two. Number three, um, the feints. City kickboxing and their feints are fucking spectacular. Um, whatever Eugene Verbin's cooking up down there, you've seen it with um, Alex Volkanovsky. You've seen it with Izzy. I mean, Max Holloway had zero answers for Alex Volkanovsky. He was able to just dominate. And then Izzy has just been piecing people up over the last two years um, with these weird feints, the unpredictability. They're just super technical, and they've got something working down there at City Kickboxing. And then the last point that I'll say um, – I know Yoel's going to take the center of the octagon. Um, I don't want to see Izzy getting pushed up against the fence because I don't think that Yoel's going to take him down with you know big blast doubles or single legs in the middle of the octagon. I think how he's going to take him down is he's going to get caught up against the fence and they're going to get into clinching areas. Yoel's going to trip him. And if Yoel gets him down to the ground, Yoel's going to punish him. So those those were kind of my pass to victory victory for Izzy. I, I think he needs to stay off that cage. Um, cause that could, that could be very, very dangerous for him. So, um, let's move on to, to Yoel. What are your thoughts for Yoel? How does he pull a victory off here against Israel? Yeah. So I, I really see kind of two ways that Yoel can win this. I think number one, um, we typically see Yoel come in with like one big shot at a time. He's yeah. not really a combination puncher. But I think against Izzy, 
He's going to have to eat shots to get into the range he wants to fight he's gonna, at. He's going to do but, the turtle. The walking turtle. Where he does that number. Yes. Um, but he's, he's got he's to gotta use combos. He, you're not going to get in on Izzy without combos. And you got to move into wrestling range. And, you know, I think, like you said, try and get Izzy against the fence. Take him down. Hold him down. Hit him with big shots in the, on the ground. And really try and wear him out with with grappling, you know, almost similar to what Khabib did to McGregor in that in that first round, where um, you know used his boxing to get in, took him down, didn't do a lot of damage, but just sapped the cardio, and then was able to finish him in later rounds because of it. Um, I think the other the other path to victory potentially is. Every single shot you throw is 100%, and you basically hope that Izzy makes a mistake and you can shut the lights out. Um, other than that, I don't see this as even a fight as most people. I, I think Adesanya has the clear advantages. I'm very concerned about Yoel's cardio. I'm very concerned about the damage he's taken over the years. Um Obviously, he's an absolute beast, and we've seen him in wars, but typically guys don't go through the wars that Yoel has without, you know, having leaving a piece of themselves in that octagon, and that's kind of how I feel about this fight. I don't know. How do you, how do you see it for Yoel? Yeah, the notes I had, I, I said use wrestling early and often. Um, the last probably three or four fights – I mean, Yoel hasn't leaned on his wrestling at all, and that's what got him to the dance. I mean, that's that's his base. Is He's an Olympic wrestler, and it seems like, you know, he uses his wrestling nowadays just to try to gain a couple points at the end of the round or whatever. Um, against Paulo Costa, I think he took him down in the second and the third round with, like, maybe 10 seconds left. Um, besides that, I mean, he didn't try to any takedowns. He just was basically obliged him to a kickboxing match. Um, so for me, I think Yoel's got to attempt the wrestling. I, I think that's his best path to victory. If he's able to get Izzy to the ground, A, it's going to wear Izzy down. Having an Olympic caliber wrestler on top of you for you know two, three rounds, that's going to zap your cardio. Um, but I agree with you. That leads us into... You know, maybe Yoel gasses. Maybe Yoel comes out and wrestles hard the first two rounds, and then he gasses and gets picked apart in three, four, and five. So that's kind of the delicate balance that Yoel has to deal with. But I would really like to see him mix in some wrestling because he just really hasn't done it. And to me, that's one of his you know best suits, strongest suits. Um, the unpredictability of Yoel Romero, I think, is it's just so dangerous. And, I mean, he'll hit you. He'll sit back, like we said. He'll do that turtle thing where he just sits against the cage, wears, like, 15 shots, and then he'll explode with the flying knee and follow it up with the left hook. And um, I agree with you. I think Yoel, if he does get in on Izzy, he needs to work combos. Even if even if they don't land, just throw them and throw them with bad intentions. Um, you really don't see Yoel throw a lot of combos unless he hurts someone. If he hurts someone... You know, hit you with the big left, follow it up with another left, throw a flying knee, and then try to finish the fight. So, I, I agree on that. Um, a big strength of Yoel is his durability. And I think we both agree, eventually, that's got to run out, but it hasn't since. You know, hasn't ever. 
That dude can take a shot better than probably anyone in the UFC. Um, Yoel's very, very dangerous late. So, I mean, we like I said, we could see Yoel hanging back for the first two rounds, and then round three and four, he comes out just causing chaos. He's got six third-round knockouts. I think that's the most of anyone in the UFC. Um, also, the, a big advantage I see for Yoel is he's got a lot of film on Izzy from the last two years. Izzy's got seven UFC fights, I think, in the last um, on his rise to the title. And there's some guys have have had some success with him. I, I thought Rob had success blitzing him. I thought Kelvin had success getting in close and in boxing range and kind of going to war with them. Um, and then, like we said, Marvin Vittori was able to take him down, hold him down and, you know, dominate parts of that fight. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I see this. I made a note of this. I see this a lot like Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder. Very, very similar. You know, Wilder has that, just come out of nowhere and knock you the fuck out, touch of death. And I, I think y'all Romero's got that too. And then Izzy's very, very technically sound as a kickboxer. You know, I think the overall better fighter, just like Tyson Fury was. So that was kind of the comparison that came to my head when I was thinking about this fight this week. Yeah, I, I mean, if you want to get to predictions, I, I think Izzy wins in a shutout decision. I, I don't... I don't think this is that close a fight. I could see Izzy finishing Yoel. I, I think Yoel needs a Hail Mary to beat Israel Adesanya. I don't really think he's going to be able to touch him. I, this kind of reminds me of, like, when Izzy fought Rob Whitaker, mm-hmm. everybody was talking about, like, Rob Whitaker is this all-time great middleweight. He's so well-balanced. He's so good. He's going to beat Izzy. Izzy can't grapple. Izzy can't do this, can't do that. Blah, 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 blah. And, like, Rob Whitaker could not touch Israel Adesanya. Israel Adesanya, in every single UFC fight we've ever seen him in, has gotten better and had better performances against better competition every single time. He, he's just he, – I think he's going to be an all-time great fighter, and I, I think he's going to beat Yoel Romero pretty handily. Yeah, he's got the aura about him that he's – you know, I agree. I think he's bound for greatness. Um I'm going to go, I don't think he can finish Yoel, but I think he's just going to pick him apart. And I've got Izzy winning a a pretty dominant unanimous decision over five rounds. So, all right, we both agree. We both think Izzy's going to win. So what's next for Izzy? Do we think he's going to chase this John Jones fight? Or do we think he's going to stay at middleweight, add title defenses to his record? What do you think's next for him? No matter who wins this fight on Saturday, Paolo Costa will fight them next. It doesn't matter who wins. That's my opinion on that. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think it's, especially after what Dom Reyes just did to John Jones, um, if we saw John Jones go in there and just hand, you know, hand Dom Reyes' his ass, I, I would think there would be more clamoring for Izzy to move up to light heavyweight. But um, I agree. I think Paulo, Paulo Costa's next. And... You know, that's something you could do probably towards the end of the summer, maybe early fall. Because I, sure. I think maybe yeah, Madison yeah. Square Garden in November. Yeah, no, that would be an awesome headliner. Um, and then where do you think Izzy's at as a star in the UFC right now? I, I think um, 
worldwide, he's a pretty big star. I don't think he's exploded onto the U.S. stardom yet, like a Conor McGregor or, you know, John Jones, someone like that. I, I think this is a huge stage for him to make a big splash in the U.S. on pay-per-view, you know, ESPN, everything. What are your thoughts on where Izzy's at right now? Well, I tend to think about UFC stars, like where they are relative to other people in the UFC, Mm -hmm. and then think about that in the relative stardom of the general sports landscape, right? So for Israel, like Conor McGregor is a bigger star. Nate Diaz is a bigger star. Uh, Jorge Masvidal is a bigger star. John Jones is a bigger star. And I would probably argue that Holly Holm is at least more well-known, probably not like a bigger star in the MMA circles, but at least more well-known. And so if you're looking at like the sixth or seventh most famous MMA fighter at that point, like you have not broken into the mainstream yet. That's Mm -hmm. the reality. But like you said, first of all, you keep winning fights in the UFC you become a bigger star. Oh, and Khabib is bigger than him too, if I didn't mention that. Yeah. But um, you keep winning fights in the UFC. You have the personality that Adesanya has. You're well-spoken. You're interesting. You're authentic. Like, it's only a matter of time. People will catch on to this guy. But he's got to keep winning fights. He's got to keep winning tough fights. And to me, this is the one that if he wins this, this really solidifies, like, I am an all-time great at middleweight, and I'm coming for everything. And then I think this is really where he can start to talk about, like, I am the new Anderson Silva type of thing. No, I agree. I think a win against a guy like Yoel Romero, I mean, this puts him on a rocket ship, and it's going to set up gigantic fights in the next two, three years. So, yeah, big, big weekend for Israel Adesanya. Do you think John Jones is cage side? No, I, I do think no. Costa's cage side, though. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's move on to the co-main event. All right, Wei Ling Zhang taking on Joanna Yongjacek. How'd you like those pronunciations? <laughs> Suck on that one. Unbelievable. Oh, it's like God. a new man out here. You take a pronunciation <laughs> class? Yes, I did. All right, um, <laughs> big fight here um, at Women's Straw Weight. Obviously... Joanna at one point was the boogie woman of the division. She seemed untouchable at the division until she met Rose Namajunas. And then since then, you know, Rose got slammed on her head, finished by Jessica Andrade. And then Wei Ling Zhang comes out of nowhere and knocks out Jessica Andrade in 45 seconds. She's your new champion. What are your thoughts around this fight? So... My thing with this fight is, number one, I think outside of the Shevchenko-Nunez trilogy, this is the biggest fight you can make in women's MMA, period. I think the other thing that we need to realize around this fight is, the reality is, is people don't really view Zhang as like this true champion. I think a lot of people think that Andrade got lucky beating Rose because Rose was beating her pretty badly before she got slammed. I mean, picking and, her apart. Rose dominated. Yeah. It was a, probably a 10-8 first round. I thought. Right. And then Andrade lost to Joanna, like, badly. Like, got, got really beat up in that fight. And then the other thing is, like, people didn't watch 
her title fight against Sandraj live because it was on at four in the morning in the U.S. I watched, so I watched it live because this is her first. <laughs> this this is her first big fight in the U.S. This is she's got an exciting style and like this is her time to really show that off to the American fan base. Yeah, I mean, I ninety percent of common fans, casuals, there's no way they could tell you who Wailing Zhang is. Um, so yeah, this is a big, big stage on a big card, and if she's able to go in there and just blow the doors off of Joanna Jacek, um, man, that would be giant. And like we talked about, that Chinese market is something that I think the UFC just really, really wants to break into. They just built that ridiculous um, performance institute over there. And I think for the UFC, if Weiling Zhang can keep winning and dominate the strawweight division, that's a huge win for the company and breaking into that Chinese market. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think I think she has the chance to be the biggest star in the UFC if she can just win a, this fight and maybe one more. Yeah, so... Okay, for Joanna, to me, she had, I mean, just honestly, the last two years were kind of off, it seemed like. she. I was there live when she got knocked out by Rose the first time in Madison Square Garden, and at the time, Joanna was, she was the Conor McGregor of women's MMA. She was the most confident, brash, just didn't give a fuck, talk shit, you know, come after you, come for the kill. And she got humbled, and then after that, it seemed like it was a little bit of a rocky road. But she's made her way back to the title contention and a shot to get her strap back. Um, this is a big, big fight for Joanna, and I, I think this is going to be her last crack to get that title back. So, what are your thoughts? Is you think this is going to be the last shot she has at getting the strawweight title back? And what do you think her chances are? I mean, it might be an unpopular opinion, but I, I really don't think this is her last shot. Um, I think this is certainly a very important fight. I think she has the chance to kind of regain all the momentum that she had going into that Rose fight in 2017. But realistically, when you look at it, she's only lost to Valentina and Rose, and she's looked dominant against every other straw weight she's fought. And so I, I just think she remains the biggest star in that division. She's the quote-unquote money fight. Not that she's like Conor McGregor out here doing millions of pay-per-views, but no one in that division is. She's the most popular fighter. But she does and seem to find her she, way onto the biggest pay-per-view cards. I mean, right. she's always in a co-main event on one of these gigantic cards. And she's made, I think she's made probably a lot of money in her career, you know, fighting that way. And uh, when you think of women's MMA, when I think of women's MMA, she's in the top three, probably behind Cyborg, Amanda Nunes, and then Joanna young Jacek. Yeah, and I think the, the reality is is she can still very easily beat basically everyone in the division not named Rose Namajunas. Yeah, no, so, I agree. So it, my thing is, is like, say, you know, say she loses this fight and they decide the next title shot is like Tatiana Suarez, and Suarez comes out and beats Zhang. In the meantime, Joanna fights, you know, some other top 10 uh, straw weight and wins. Who's Suarez going to want next? She wants to fight Joanna. Mm -hmm. Everyone's going to want to fight Joanna. 
she's she's the record holder. She's it's what happened with Rousey too. If she stuck around the sport, and so I don't think I don't think this is her last shot. If she loses, um, I, I just think she's she's too big in this division to to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so let's talk about Weiling Zhang. Um, obviously, not a lot. I mean, we haven't seen a lot from her as a champion. Obviously, she had the 47-second knockout or whatever it was of Jessica Andrade. But um, what do you think her best path to victory is against Joanna? So Wiley Zhang's uh, style, I would describe as like if you took Vanderlei Silva and put him in a 115-pound Chinese woman's body. Um, she comes forward. She throws power shots. Mm-hmm. She's a- an absolute animal in the clinch mm-hmm. i mean what she did to jessica andrage like jessica andrage is an absolute tank and wiley zhang muay thai clinched her and kneed her in the head until she fell over across it, it the was cage vicious. it was crazy it was vicious yeah. um she's someone who i think against joanna i mean she's she's the she's not as long she's not as tall she has a reach disadvantage she has to close the distance and she has to hope that her power translates to fighting Joanna because if she can't land power shots and she can't get in the clinch, there's no way she's going to be able to beat a kickboxer like Joanna. The other thing is that we haven't seen a ton in her MMA career, but we've seen it in her open workouts and on her social media is she seems to be a very active grappler. Yeah. And I, I actually think she would have the advantage over Joanna in the grappling department. So I think there's a chance we see a takedown from Zhang in this fight. But uh, very, very vicious in the Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I, it's basically, to me, it's power striker against volume striker. You know, Joanna's going to come in. She's going to pepper you with strikes. Muay, you know, Muay Thai background. It's just going to be volume, volume, volume at a fast pace. And then, yeah, Zhang's got that power. You know, I, I think for she's probably got the best, biggest power in the 115 division. I mean, she's someone that's devastating. She can switch the lights off. Um, I totally agree. I, I would like to see her work a little grappling because I think if she's able to get this fight to the ground, she has the advantage over Joanna. She's got submissions. She's going to be the bigger girl in there. So, yeah, I think it's power and it's grappling and clinching for Zhang. I think she needs to try to get Yoan up against the fence, make this a dirty fight, you know, hit her with a big elbow, hit her with a big overhand, take it to the ground. Um, for Yoana, for me, it's all about the volume. It's the volume, it's the pace, it's the ferocity. Yoana is just a mean, mean lady. To me, she's kind of the Justin Gaethje of women's MMA. She's going to get in there, come after you, pick you apart, hurt you. She wants to break you. So for Yana, I think it's all about that just kind of machine gun attack that she's got. I would like to see her work low kicks to try to slow down Weiling Zhang, hit her with teeps to the body, you know, um, try to just drain that gas tank a little bit. Push, push the pace. Um, I think she's got to use her movement to stay light on that front foot. Um, she's got nasty elbows. If it does go to the clinch, you'll want to, I don't remember, I think it was Jessica Penne that she, when she 
broke her nose, split her split her nose open, and then hit her with like twenty five exactly. shots against the cage. So Joanna's nasty. Um, I think she's the better overall striker. So I'm gonna look for her to f- just fight a smart fight and fight a Joanna fight. Really, just put that pace on you. Set a pace that she can't keep up with, and we haven't seen Zhang go five rounds. We've seen Joanna do it time after time. So, yeah, if you're Joanna, I don't think she has anything to lose. I think she goes in there, she fights a Joanna fight, and lets it all hang out, and you know, may the best woman win. But let's jump to predictions. Um, I think Joanna's going to finish this fight in the fourth round. Yeah, so I actually see this fight looking very similar to the Andrade fight for Joanna um, at UFC 211. I think we were both in the building that night. That fight was in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And um, I just see Zhang really trying to come forward and really swarm Joanna. That seems to be her strategy with, with basically every fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think Joanna has really good footwork, has really good variation and volume in her striking. And is going to kind of be able to dance around Zhang, uh, wear her out, make her miss, and eventually pull out a decision. You know, the only reason I'm not picking Joanna by TKO, I do think it's going to be fairly lopsided in terms of the striking numbers, especially in the later rounds. I just don't think Joanna has great power, to be honest. And she's not been great at finishing fights in the past, but I definitely think she's going to win this by decision. Yeah, for me, this is the most dialed in I've seen Joanna since probably before her Rose fights. She just, she kind of seems like she has that air back, you know, where she just feels like she can fuck anyone up. And she was, when she was at the top, she was just ruthless. And that's why I love watching Joanna. And I see that confidence back. So I think she's going to come out looking to make a gigantic statement. Um, What do you think is next for the winner? Um, Probably the winner of Rose and Andrade. Though you do have Tatiana Suarez kind of waiting in the wings there. So Is she still injured? I, Does she have a neck injury or something? Yeah, neck injury, which, you know, wrestler, that's going to happen. So yeah. To me, I, I, think I still think the, she's the dark horse of that division. If she could get healthy, uh, that girl's freaky. Yeah, I think it's, it's probably going to be the winner of Rose against Jessica Andrade, though. That would be my guess. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think if Joanna wins, that's for sure the fight to make. The winner of Jessica Andrade versus Rose. Obviously, the Rose trilogy, to me, would be probably one of the biggest fights that you can make in women's MMA. If you can get Joanna rolling again and then get a motivated Rose. Um, And we don't know. We'll see how Rose shows up in Brazil. Is she fighting down in Brazil? No, she's in Brooklyn. It's the Khabib-Tony card. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, I think that's a big fight. Um, for Weiling Zhang, um, I think if she wins, she could be someone that can move up to 125 and fight Valentina. But there's still a lot of questions around her. Um, I, I think this fight is really going to answer a lot of questions about her. What kind of champion can she be? If she's able to go in there and put on a nice performance and get a win against um, Joanna, that's a fight you could sign me up to to, to watch. I mean, shot at being a double champ in the Chinese market. That's a huge, hugely marketable fight. So, um, all right, let's move on. The Sugar Show returns. Get your get your tie-dyed gloves out. Spark up a joint. 
and tune in to the ESPN prelims. Sugar Show's back. 10-0 Sean O'Malley making his long-awaited return after two years out of competition. First, he had a broken foot, and then he had a very similar issue with USADA that we've seen uh, John Jones have with the pulsing picograms. So, what do you think about the return of Sugar Sean O'Malley after a long absence? Uh, he's almost a four to one favorite on this card. He, the word out of the MMA lab where he trains in Arizona is that he is absolutely killing everyone in the gym. Um, his grappling looked really good when we saw him in quintet, Mm -hmm. which is not a skill that Sean is known for. Uh, I can't wait for this guy to come back. I think he's such a freaking animal. He's so creative. He's so tough. He's so long and tall for 135. I think he is an absolute humongous problem in this division. Yeah, I mean, Sean O'Malley's a natural-born superstar. There's no two ways about it. He's going to be, I think, for my money, he's the heir to Conor McGregor. I, he's just got, he's got everything. He's like a mix of Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz. This guy used to, there's no athletic commission in Montana where Sean O'Malley is from. Right. And so there's no one who can like suspend you if you fight in Montana on like a regional card. Sean O'Malley used to go like once a week and just try and fight like in these barn fights on fairgrounds in Montana. Yeah. I mean, this guy is like, he might look like a skinny nerd who plays Fortnite and smokes weed all day. This guy is an absolute gangster. Yeah. Yeah, Sean O'Malley, and the two-year layoff from everything that I've heard, I I think this is going to be a blessing in disguise for Sean O'Malley. He was a kid that I think was 20 years old in his um, debut on the Contender Series, or 21. And I I think that two years, he's really, really honed his craft. I think he's picked up a lot of grappling. I mean, we saw him submit. Who did he submit? Takeyama Gomi, right? Yeah, yeah, he submitted Gomi at, at Quintet. Yeah, so, I mean, I think he's really put an emphasis on his jiu-jitsu. His kickboxing is out of this world. He's, honestly, he's very, very similar to Israel Adesanya. He's just got amazing, you know, crazy, crazy striking ability. And I think his look, everything about him, he's going to be a gigantic star. So I'm looking for a big knockout win here from Sugar Sean, and then he's going to get on the mic and say something crazy, and I hope he gets someone in the top 10. I think he's probably two two fights out from breaking into the top 10, but this is a big, big stage for Sugar Sean O'Malley. He's got fucked out of, I think, for sure, the Conor McGregor card he was supposed to be on, and then he was supposed to fight on the John Jones card in Houston in this same spot. So I, I think the UFC is really putting an emphasis on getting a lot of eyes on this guy and, you know, him being the next star. Yes, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I'm super excited for this. I, I just, I think he's, like you said, natural born superstar. I, I think he's, he's the next big thing at bantamweight, maybe the next big thing in the UFC. Very, very excited. And how good is bantamweight if Sean O'Malley gets in the top 10? Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, you look at that with, and we'll get to this, but Jan, Marlon Marais, Cejudo, Aldo, Cody Garbrandt coming back, uh, Pedro Munoz, Aljo Sterling, 
Um, I mean, the the names that you could list go on and on and on and on, and it is Corey Sandhagen. Give me, These give me Corey Sandhagen versus Sean O'Malley. Please, please, MMA gods, I would love that. Frankie Edgar going down. Like, this is a gauntlet at 135. All right, so now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, Billy's Hardcore Moment. UFC 245, 48. Billy's going to spend two minutes talking about obscure wrestlers. I'm going to go take a piss and pour a drink of whiskey. (laughs) All right. So everyone's favorite segment, Billy's Hardcore Minute. Uh, Something that I'm keeping an eye on this week for the hardcores for UFC 248. Fight between Marco Madsen and Austin Hubbard. Um, People might remember Madsen from the UFC Copenhagen card. He is a silver medalist Greco-Roman wrestler uh, from Denmark, uh, 9-0 and all-time in MMA. Uh, he's an absolute unit at lightweight. I mean, the guy has, like, his muscles have muscles. Um, but 35 years old, kind of reminds me of, like, the Daniel Cormier story where he got going in MMA late. He's already a huge star in Denmark, and he's fighting a guy who's 1-1 one one in the UFC and 11-3 and overall. But the only person that Austin Hubbard beat is no longer in the UFC. So I think this is a good step up in competition for Madsen. Um, I think he could be a huge star in Europe. I I think he's got a really exciting style and a great pedigree. Um, So I'm keeping an eye on this on the prelims. Did you crush it? I I did it, Parker. (laughs) I did it. All right. All right. So moving on from the hardcore moment, let's jump into current events. So, big, big fight booked at Bantamweight in the home of Borat, Kazakhstan. We've got Piotr Jan taking on Marlon Marias. Um, <laughs> I killed him with that one, too, didn't I? Unbelievable. No, I and all other countries have inferior potassium. <laughs> all right, big fight. What do you think about this one? Obviously, I think Piotr Jan feels like he got fucked out of that title fight with King Henry. And I I feel like a lot of people can make the argument that he did. Um, What do you think about this matchup with Marlon Marias? I mean, I I want Jan to get a title fight as much as anyone. I think he's the best fighter at 135 in the world. But for me, this fight is perfect. I mean, stylistically, these are two guys who throw down their true mixed martial artists. They'll grapple. They'll strike. They both have knockout power. Um, I just think this is such a fun fight. And can you imagine what it's going to be like when the UFC goes to Kazakhstan for the first time? Can we please, can we please make that trip? I just want to be there. I I just feel like that is going to be so (sighs) wild. I'm sure I could book like a sheep hunt or something around it and we could make it happen. <laughs> oh my God. I'll have to explain to my wife why I'm vacationing in Kazakhstan, but um, I'm definitely interested. We could talk after the podcast. All right, we'll set it up. All right, next. Dan the Hangman Hooker wastes no time and gets booked against Dustin the Diamond Poirier for UFC San Diego. Sign me the fuck up. I love it. I love it. 
We we thought it couldn't get any better when we got Jan versus Marias live from Kazakhstan, but then they gave us Hooker against Poirier like hours later. And I, for me, like I just think give him the fight of the year now. Like is is there any doubt that this is going to be an absolute banger? No. No. Absolutely not. And here's the thing too that's you know, it's great for us as a fan. It's probably not great for the fighters, but this really puts the heat on Justin Gaethje to sign a bout agreement because if Hooker versus Poirier is a back and forth war and one of those guys comes out with like a big victory, I mean they're going to jump Gaethje in in line to be number 1 contender. You really Poirier think so? already has a win over Gaethje. I do because Poirier beat Gaethje. He beat him already. And so if Hooker comes out and beats Poirier, he's right back in line. If Poirier comes out and puts on a great performance against Dan Hooker, you know, I, I think you could see Poirier just jump Justin Gaethje either in the Conor McGregor sweepstakes or in uh, in the title shot line. So I, I think this puts a lot of heat on Gaethje that this got booked so quickly. Yeah, I mean, Dustin Poirier created the new and improved Justin Gaethje. That was the last of that crazy just walk forward, take punishment just fight like an outlaw Justin Gaethje. After that fight, we really saw a rebirth of Justin Gaethje, so I would love to see that matchup again. Um, but I agree. I, I think this puts pressure on Justin Gaethje, Conor McGregor, and Nate Diaz. Uh, what are these three guys doing? Let's let's get it going. I mean, what are you waiting for? There's so much money to be made. International Fight Week, I, I think you got to get one of those guys booked on there. It's perfect timing. Or Dublin. Or Dublin. Or Dublin, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Justin Gaethje, Conor McGregor in Dublin, or Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz, Dublin. Justin Gaethje versus Nate Diaz, Dublin. Do it all. Do it all. Those three guys got to get going. What are we waiting for? Let's do a three-round fight where we get one round of each. (laughs) Round robin. Did you see Nate, Nate Nate Diaz is the best on Twitter. Did you see him jump in and go, hey, Connor, what happened to your season? I'm here. Let's go. He's angling for that fight. He's angling for that fight. I, I really think Nate wants to fight Connor that third time. Why wouldn't he? So sign it. Let's do it. Connor wants it. Nate wants it. Let's do it. What are we doing here? I honestly think at, at the moment, I think Nate is... The best fight for Connor because you're not risking that 155 shot, you know, for Khabib. I think it's Dana White right now is in conservation mode of Connor McGregor because he doesn't want to ruin that super fight with him and Khabib. But that's assuming Khabib gets through Tony Ferguson. A. B. How much money are you losing not booking Connor McGregor versus Justin Gaethje versus George Masvidal versus Nate Diaz? I mean, what are we doing? You can't put Connor in bubble wrap and hope that Khabib comes out okay. Have you seen what Tony Ferguson does to his opponents? Khabib has the toughest fight of his life on April 18th. Khabib is going to be on medical suspension for six months, even if he wins that fight. And you're going to put Connor McGregor on bubble wrap, hoping that that rematch comes together? Book us Connor versus Nate. Book us Connor versus Gaethje. What are we doing, Dana? Figure it out. No, I agree. It's got to happen. It's got to happen very, very soon. All right. Are we good on 155? Or you got anything else to say? 
I could talk. Uh, we could go another three <laughs> hours, so we got to cut it off here. All right. All right. The Lioness gets her next victim. We talked a little bit about it, but Amanda Nunes will defend her title in Brazil as the co-main event of King Henry versus Jose Aldo against Felicia Spencer. Um, we kind of already covered this, but just initial thoughts on this fight. Does Felicia Spencer have a chance, or is she just the next in line to get destroyed by Amanda? First of all, the main event of this uh card is King Jose Aldo against Triple Clown, and I want to make that very clear. Um, this, is, this is not a Triple C podcast. At least one half of this podcast is definitely not a Triple C podcast. Um, <laughs> the, the Felicia Spencer fight for Amanda Nunes kind of just... Uh, it's It feels like the cyborg thing all over again, where it's just yeah. like uh, like, did were you all excited for Cyborg against Yana Kunitskaya? Because I wasn't, and like that's kind of how I feel about Nunez against Spencer. Would it be cool if Felicia Spencer wins? Yes. Is she a very good grappler? Yes. Do I think she has a shot in hell against Amanda Nunez? No. So uh, I'm not that excited. Kind of seems like a filler. Kind of seems like they've run out of ideas with Nunez, and we're all just kind of waiting for the Valentina Nunez trilogy at this point. Yeah, I think her and Valentina are kind of in the same space. Until they fight each other, I don't think anyone's going to give a flying fuck. So let's watch her take out Felicia Spencer, then Megan Anderson. Let's let JoJo get sacrificed to Valentina. Poor JoJo and her sweet Scottish accent. And then book the fucking third fight. Let's go. Let's quit fucking around. I'm going to write a, a drunk Instagram to Dana White tonight, and I'm going to let him... Let them know how I really feel. <laughs> All right. This next one's a little scary for Bellator. Your boy, AJ McKee, seems like he got hurt and maybe out of that Grand Prix. 16-0, probably the hottest prospect in Bellator. Looks like he blew out his LCL. Yeah, apparently he was walking around with a cane for the last Bellator fight. Um, and had just gotten surgery. Um, if I'm Bellator, I'd just postpone the Grand Prix until we could get AJ McKee against Darian Caldwell. Because yeah, that's the fight. For, well, for me, like, this whole Grand Prix is, I mean, obviously there's more than just this storyline, you know, with Pitbull and, you know, guys like Emmanuel Sanchez, who's very good, Pedro Carvalho, who's very good. But for me, this... This Grand Prix, the the main storyline is how good is AJ McKee? Can anyone beat AJ McKee? That's the real story. And if AJ McKee's out of the Grand Prix, I'm just way less interested in it. And I love Bellator. And so if I'm Bellator, like I I just delay this. Nobody's going to sit there and complain that you did this. We need to see AJ McKee fight this out and eventually either lose or fight for the title. Those are the only two options. Yeah, 100%. All right. This week we've got a new segment, and then we will wrap up the show. Random MMA questions. Billy's going to propose two to me. I'm going to propose two to Billy. You go first. All right. So my first question for you, Parker, what is one rule change you would like to see in MMA? Uh, weight cutting. I hate weight cutting. I would like to see 
I don't know. Then maybe adopt. I think it's the one championship um, weight cutting philosophy where they have hydration tests and basically makes you fight it your natural weight class. I would like to see that with a combination of probably more weight classes because I think there's a lot of guys that are just stuck between weight classes. Um, Dustin Poirier, Nate Diaz, Kevin Lee. Um, you know, we've seen other guys move up and down and have success, but I, I think RDA. that's a big problem in the US RDA. Yeah, I think that's a big problem. Um, I would like to see that go away. I just think it's... I mean, it's terrible. You watch some of these guys. Like, look at Conor McGregor when he fought at 145. He looked like a skeleton. Opposed to what he looks like at 170. He looks full, healthy, ready to go. I I think the UFC diminishes the product a little bit with these weight cuts. Especially some of these guys that cut, you know, a tremendous amount of weight. And then my second question for you. What is one fight that has never been booked that you would like to see? Oh, Jesus. That's a hard one. You have one off the top of your head? Uh, Randy Couture against Fedor Emelianenko would be my number one. God, I was thinking Fedor. Um, mm, Shit. Fedor, Chuck Liddell in their primes. Wow. Fedor, I think, is like... Fedor obviously never made it to the UFC, but I think there's a lot of fantasies about Fedor. Fedor Kane Velasquez would have been fucking incredible at the height of Cardio Kane, and then Fedor at the height of his rise, you know, in pride. Um, For me, when I fantasize about UFC fights and, you know, bouts that never happened, Fedor really... (laughs) <laughs> revolves around a lot of them. Um, Francis John Jones, that's one. A current one that I, I, I just uh, love My that. current one is I would like to see the entire top 10 at flyweight, like 10 through one, be able to come in um, all at once in a cage and fight Francis Ngannou. <laughs> Let's just put all 15 fighters on the rankings. Francis Ngannou is still probably like a minus 110 favorite. All right, I got two for you. Um, Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje. Or Tony Fer- or Justin Gaethje versus Nate Diaz. Those two at 155. Fuck yes. Sign me up. Take all my money. I'll pay $100 for those pay-per-views. Love that. <laughs> all right, I got two for you. Um, who has a better shot in the rematch? Conor McGregor versus Khabib? Or Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury. Ooh. Um, I'm gonna go with Connor. Uh I, I think I buy the idea that Connor was not at his best for that Khabib fight. Um, not that I think that he will win the rematch, but I, I do think there is gaps for Connor to close that he can do better. And I think that he did some good things and probably fought Khabib better than just about anyone else has. Um, Ally Quintus says, hold my beer. Oh, come on. Ally, we watched that fight together. Ally Quinta got stomped. This is a um, Raging Al podcast, okay? I absolutely love Raging Al, but he got killed in that fight. Um, 
Fury just, I think Fury really has Wilder's number in the absolute worst way. And I think because there's fewer routes to win in boxing and it's a more limited rule set, there's not a lot Wilder can do to close that gap. So I'm going to go with Connor. Okay. Uh, I agree. I, I see no path to victory for, for Deontay Wilder in the third fight. I'm so mad they're making a third fight. What are we doing? Go book Joshua in fucking Wembley. Come on. Ugh. All right. My last one. Um, this is kind of relevant to this card. Um, our boy, Edmund Shabazian. You like that pronunciation? Yeah. You, I don't know what happened between now and like the 20 suburban. minute mark of this podcast. It's suburban. It's unbelievable. I'm becoming more, more uh, cultural with the bourbon. Um, all right. Edmund <laughs> Shabazian was slated to take on Derek Brunson originally on this card. That got moved to the Tony Ferguson card uh, April 11th, I believe. But um, two fighters that really, really interest me, and I think they're the top two rising stars in the UFC. we got Sugar Sean O'Malley, who's fighting this weekend, and then Edson Shabazian, Edmund Shabazian. Who do you think has the best shot to become champion first at their weight classes, 135 and middleweight? Um, and then five years from now, who's going to be the bigger star, Sugar Sean or Edmund Shabazian? So I think uh, I'm going to take Sugar Sean, and here's why. Because I think Edmund Shabazian is an unbelievable fighter. But like I said, I think Israel Adesanya is going to be really dominant at middleweight. And clearly, I don't think that about Henry Cejudo. So... I just think the path at bantamweight is a little bit easier. And then Edmund Shabazian's kind of a soft-spoken guy. You know, he's not really brash. He's not flashy. Um, Sugar Sean is the exact opposite. He's very public. He's, you know, kind of a snappy dresser. He has a flashy style. Um, so I'm going with Sugar Sean. I think he has both a better shot to be champion and will be a bigger star in five years. I think the bigger star is hands down goes to Sugar Sean. I think he's after this fight, he's going to be one of the biggest stars in the UFC. Um, as for champion, I really have my eye on Edmund Shabazian. I think he's on the fast track to fight Israel Adesanya in two, maybe three fights. Um, what he did to Brad Tavares and he fucking hit him with that. I think it was a left hook and then followed it with a head kick and just destroyed Brad Tavares. To me, he's on a very similar projection as Israel Adesanya was. He's fighting, you know, pretty much the same lineup of dudes. Brad Brad Tavares, then Derek Brunson. Then he's going to get, you know, someone in the top eight to five. And then after that, I, you know, I, I think he's a guy that could compete with Israel. And that matchup down the road, to me, is going to be fucking awesome. Stylistically, that's a great, great fight. So that... That's a guy I'm really keeping my eye on. I think that's going to be a huge fight in Brooklyn for him. Um, anything else? Closing words? We Watch did more Japanese MMA. Watch all the Japanese <sighs> MMA you can. Where are you watching the fights? When are we going to have a fight watching party with my co-host here? It's my wedding anniversary on Saturday, so <sighs> I highly doubt that I am going to make it out to you to watch the fights, but... Well, <laughs> um, maybe for maybe for Khabib uh, Ferguson, I can make it out there. Okay. All right. Well, 
episode 26 in the books. That was a long one, an hour and 30. We were ripping it. We had a lot to talk about this episode. So, like always, everyone, like, subscribe, Facebook, YouTube, Podbean, Spotify, anywhere that you listen to your audio, your podcast, we're there. Like, subscribe, share with your friends. Billy, any closing remarks? Jan Kutalaba, if you want to do a three-hour exclusive interview with Parker and I, we are more than open to it. I agree. Jan, the Hulk, Kutalaba. We love your style. Bring the pain. All right. Parker's MMA Show, episode 26, late edition, 11 o'clock at night, past my bedtime. Billy's got his soccer shirt on. It's time to go to bed. Closing time. Let's do it. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Parker's MMA Show. Take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit ParkerKeensMMAShow.Podbean.com for additional information on Parker and to stay up to date on the latest drama in the fight world. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out the show notes.